Uh, there's a wonderful number that's out there that says that seven out of 10 people at work are not bringing their A game every day. Some people say it's an engagement issue. You can put lots of words around it, but 70% of your human capital is underperforming by choice. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that... Rick Miller joins us to talk about being chief, an important topic in today's political environment as well as the business world and in our own individual lives. He is an unconventional turnaround specialist and servant leader. Over the past 30 years, he has successfully turned around a Fortune 10, a Fortune 30, a startup, and a nonprofit. But Rick's high-ranking titles and resume are not what made him a chief. Rick is a chief because he He has the ability and believes in his ability to bring out the best in others and empower them to be chiefs in whatever role they are in, whether it's the corporation or in their own personal life. And Rick has packaged these decades of wisdom in a wonderful book, Be Chief. It's a choice, not a title. One of the things he said during our conversation is that, yes, people with titles have power, but people without titles have power too, and everyone is at their best when they feel powerful and empowered to make their own choices. But the question becomes, how do you convey this not only to individuals, but an entire organization of individuals? Well, you have to speak to the business and its leaders in a language that they understand, and that language is numbers. And Rick tells us about a startling statistic that seven out of 10 people while at work are not contributing their best efforts. Some people say this is an engagement issue or a talent issue, but what it really comes down to is that 70% of your human capital, your people who have families and commitments and dreams and purpose and meaning, your human capital is underperforming. And it's by choice. And according to a Gallup poll, the lackluster performance results in U.S. companies losing $500 billion with a B annually. So if you want your business to improve, yes, you can develop a new product or you can sell more, but you'll have a greater impact if you focus on your people and you give them a reason, you give them meaning to be enthusiastic about doing their best each and every day. Remember, Rick reminds us, that anyone in your organization affects 
everyone in your organization. If you want to help everyone in an organization make and find meaning in their work, it helps greatly to give them purpose or a mission that they can align to and get behind. So create value, not just for your customers or shareholders, but for your community, your people, and the world. It's time to move beyond the do not harm phase and enter the do more good phase of business. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Rick Miller, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am uh, very excited to have you as a guest and to talk about being chief. I think it's a very important topic in today's uh, you know, political environment, today's business environment, and in today's individual economy environment where we are in control of our choices and responses and actions and inactions. So welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Mike. So I always kick things off by learning a little bit about my guests. And something that I've been doing recently is using various quotes to kind of inspire our conversation. So one of my favorite quotes... that, that I actually include on the back of my thank you cards to people is from a guy named Charles Reed. And the quote is, sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow your habit, reap your character. And sow your character, reap your destiny. And I would love to learn with, with that quote in mind, when you were a kid and you were you know, thinking and dreaming and pondering, what were your thoughts about your own personal potential? Well, it's a great place to start, Mike. Great, great question. By the way, I've heard versions of that attributed to uh, to Gandhi, to Frank Outlaw. I've heard other people the the uh, the link between thoughts and words, words and actions, actions and character, character and habits, habits and destiny. I love that quote. So the fact I'm sitting here with a big smile on my face, the fact that we started our interview, uh, there are no coincidences. And for me, you know, the way that I thought growing up uh, uh, was very much a part of how this whole thing played out. And, and I guess the the reason it brings me back there so easily is the, is the big impact that my dad had on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of us are impacted by our parents, but my uh, I was raised by a single a single parent. Uh, my dad. Uh, with my mom uh, in the hospital most of my life. Uh, I was the oldest of three. And dad was a personnel guy back in the day before there was human resources. There was personnel guys and gals. They kind of looked after the human capital. I'm not sure they used that term back in the 50s and 60s when I grew up. But he worked at the only non-human pool shop in central Massachusetts. Hmm. And the reason I think that's kind of significant for the rest of my life, honestly, in terms of my career choices and my life choices, is that you know we'd go to church, we'd go to the grocery store, we'd be in the neighborhoods, and we'd be surrounded by families that were basically influenced by unions. Yet there was no union at my dad's company, and so uh, and my I'll bust a button actually when I tell you this 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 line. You know my dad, you know probably uh, not a lot of notoriety outside his three sons, but in the 27 years that he was the personnel guy at this machine tool shop, my there was never even a union vote, not one. Hmm. And so what I learned growing up was it's all about connecting people. It's all about you know labor talking to management, management talking to labor. 
And and that was that influenced me. At the kitchen table, I heard stories of compensation and grievances and how you treat people fairly. And and I listen. I've, I've got a couple of business degrees, uh, undergraduate and MBA from Columbia, and I've read countless books. But I got to tell you, every lesson that I've learned pales in comparison to the to the lessons that my dad taught me at the kitchen table growing up in Central Massachusetts. And the net of it is is that yeah, people with titles have power, but people without titles have power. And everyone is at their best when they feel powerful, when they feel powerful and everyone makes their own choices. So those are the four lessons that dad taught. And as I say, a lot of great books and things I've learned along the way, but uh, you talk about how those thoughts led to words, led to actions. My whole career, frankly, was probably set in at the uh, on course by kitchen, <laughs> kitchen, uh, kitchen table conversations with dad. That's that's amazing. I, I love that. I love hearing it. When it sounds like your dad was incredibly present um, to you in your life, not only as a provider financially for your well-being, but also and as a caretaker for your mom, but also physically, like oh, in, yeah. in, in in influencing your life, you know, by being physically present. What what is the most remarkable thing that you recall about your dad that brings a smile to your face? Well, I, I, you know, dad is, 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 is consistent and persistent as the day is long. Uh, <laughs> you know, many people would look at my dad and say, you know, what's remarkable, right? In our current definition of remarkable. I'm not sure if dad was on social media these days, he'd <laughs> get many likes or many retweets. Uh, that just wasn't who dad was. Dad was, uh, you know, uh, Dad was just solid. Dad was. Uh, Dad had values that came through in the way he spoke. Back to your quote, there was an absolute consistency in what Dad thought, what Dad said, what Dad did, mm-hmm. and and that consistency is the thing that that stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Your dad was a member, or is he still alive? Yes, he is. God, God bless him. Yeah, he's 85 years old and still gets out in the golf course a couple times a week. I'm a little par three up in Massachusetts, and I'll be seeing him in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, that's, it's, that's it's, awesome. It's, that's awesome. My dad uh, or my mom, rather, is from Chumsford, Mass. So I hear I definitely hear a little bit of the Massachusetts in your in your I, voice. So. <laughs> I know Chumsford well. I have cousins in Chumsford. <laughs> now, your dad, you know, he's kind of on the on the. Uh, the tail end of the greatest generation, you know, and and one of the the key characteristics of that generation is the value that they placed on character and on never letting your circumstances define your character and never letting someone else define your character, but taking control and and understanding that you alone are responsible for determining your character. And that ties right back into the quote that that our actions, our habits, our thoughts, all of those things determine our character. So when you think about, is there, is there ever a moment where your dad or maybe another influencer in your upbringing sat you down and ex- it either you know explicitly or implicitly taught you what character really meant? Well, I'll, I'll I'll give you another story about one of my uh, one of my greatest teachers, uh, and it's a very very different uh, scenario. This uh, this teacher was a six year old girl with cerebral palsy. Hmm. At the time, I was volunteering to work at a rehabilitation hospital with a was a with a physical therapist, and we would 
I would assist, she would bring these wonderful kids into a hundred degree heated pool and and stretch them. Their 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 muscles were bound. This particular girl, uh, who's my teacher, called I call her Melissa because of uh, the legal uh, system. I can't give you her real name, mm-hmm. but I call her Melissa. And when we first met Melissa, she was absolutely rigid. Uh, and I remember seeing her on the side. We've been working with kids all day, and I remember being struck by her uh, as she was sitting in, in her wheelchair, uh, uh, the side of the pool, waiting her turn very patiently. Uh, when she came into the pool, she had a smile that, that frankly lit up the whole room. She was, she, was, uh, she was absolutely amazing in terms of the intensity that she brought to, to us in the pool, li- uh, t- you know, listening to us intently. And, and actually, I, I learned over the six months that we worked together uh, that she actually had a dream that, that I was able with the physical therapist to allow her to reach. And that dream was she wanted to be able to extend both of her arms to grip a foam basketball, <laughs> put it in a net that was floating on the water, and pretend she scored two points. And it actually took us all six months for her to realize that dream. Now, why was this so impactful to me? Because I got to know this little girl. I got to know her, her, her the strength of her conviction to get this thing done, uh, her patience. Uh, you know, she always said thank you to us when we were done. I mean, she she embodied in a very different way everything about being a leader or, or, or you know, fully present, making choices. That's what we're talking about is choices. Mm. Um, I, I got to know this little girl, you know, one hour a week working in a 100 degree heated pool and the consistency between, you know, she didn't share her thoughts. I wasn't her therapist, but I could see I could see what she was thinking. I could kind of feel it. And it just it followed through in terms of her words and her actions. And man, I get goosebumps when I tell you the story because you know she was one of the most impactful people that I've ever met, mm. and so very much unlike my dad, but but very much like my dad in terms of not focusing on the voices all around her or dad all around him. You talk about the greatest generation; they had a character of of, of making choices based on their internal voice. They, they they felt that they knew what was right and they were going to do it, much like Melissa. So believe me, she did not, to use your words, sit me down and kind of help me understand what I needed to know. But in her own way, in a very different environment, that concept of, of being a leader, I call it being a chief, independent of your title. I mean, she was a chief in every way, shape and form, as much as any CEO that I've ever worked with. You know, um, you, you you brought up a really interesting phrase, the inner voice, right? And Jordan Peterson, who, you know, you've probably heard of him. He's, he's, you know, a prolific author and psychologist and a very controversial figure earlier in, in the uh, Trump election and, and everything. And, but one of the things before he actually became, you know, famous at the scale he is right now, if you will, he actually was a, you know, pretty humble professor at the University of Toronto. And one of the um, one of the questions he actually asked his students to kind of think about and talk about is, are you in your head or are you in your heart? And I actually, when I saw that question, I thought it was really kind of, it, it, had, it was really appropriate for you. Like, I, I felt like that would be a really good question for you because you're, here you are, you know, this upward mobile executive ultimately all the way up to the 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 big the big time right with uh you know i think your your last position was as the 
global president for AT&T, if I'm not mistaken, and if I am, correct me. But I want to know, are you today, are you in your head or are you in your heart? And if it wasn't always one way or the other, how did you make that transition or that progression? Yeah, well, again, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. Every time I get Mike an or question, I, I, uh, something goes up in the back of my neck and I think, you know, could that yeah. be an and question? A, bo- a both and right. question. Yeah, for yeah, sure. It's an and. It's an and. And, and I think the, where I am now, uh, what I espouse, what I believe um, uh, strongly is that we are our best selves when we're connecting what we do to who we are. And so it kind of connects a little bit. You know, we talk about uh, we have a very action oriented culture these days, right? Let's get up and go and don't wait and persistence. And, all, and that's all good. But I find that many uh, folks uh, uh, and I have to guard against this myself because I'm a type A and I'm a driver driver. I'm guilty as charged. But sometimes even I confuse activity with progress. Right? We get all this stuff going on and, and we forget that that it is about progress based on who we are. So we talked about being in your in your heart, as that is an example. And, and I, I use the term compass. What is your compass? You can go in any direction, but mm-hmm. if your compass is telling you to go in a particular direction because that's who you are, you know, those are th- those are important ideas. So yes, you have to think. You can't just uh, you know sit in meditation all day. That some people, although there are people, very few who choose to do that and believe that's success. I, I tend to believe that success is is creativity. Uh, thinking and 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 feeling, yes, but writing and and speaking and doing, right? That, that kind of cre- is the creativity that we're here to manifest while we're on this earth. But that's always based on your own barometer. So in the in the book, be chief, uh, uh, I talk about the uh, what that means. And so, how do you develop this this compass, this self understanding, this heart that that professor talked about? And I think there are ways that you can make choices that will increase your ability to live in your heart as you live in your head, to develop that self-understanding, that compass, that insight. And it is about a word you used earlier in our conversation about being present. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of the keys. You, you, you need to, and no one's present 24-7, right? I mean, but, but increasingly, we have to focus on kind of catching ourselves. Am I thinking about tomorrow's meeting or, or the vacation two weeks from now? Or am I thoroughly enjoying where I am at this moment, learning everything that I can? One of the reasons, one of the ways I think you can do that as well, I happen to be a meditator. Doesn't make me right. Uh, just one of the ways that I tried to, to build up that heart is to take time to be still at times. Now, there are those who like walking meditations, silent meditations, but finding a way to eliminate all the noise and the outside voices from well-intentioned parents, well-intentioned kids, well-intentioned friends, a well-intentioned spouse. The only way you develop your own voice is to quiet all the other voices to allow you to hear your own. Mm. And that takes practice. Mm-hmm. So when I did do you it. start doing that? You know, I've, I've done that now probably really actively, the meditation, for probably about seven years. Okay. Uh, I had talked for years and years about trying to get into meditation. I'm a very physical person. I thought I was going to do that via yoga. And I thought the, the physical, and I kept talking about it, and, 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 my, and my wife, kept laughing at me because I kept saying, she <laughs> kept saying, you keep talking about it. But then she, she, she bought me a, 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 a CD series on how to meditate. And I remember putting in the first, first uh, CD in my car as I was driving along, probably too fast, going in the wrong direction. And I remember the, the person came on with a strong Boston accent. And first thing she said was, 
before we get started on this six CD set, let me tell you how I learned to meditate. And I stopped, right? I said, wait a minute, she's going to tell me where she learned. And she talked about this book, uh, Open Mind, Open Heart by Thomas Keating. And at that point, I said, wait a minute, you just told me how you learned. So I hit eject. I never listened to any of the CDs. I bought the book, which is a fantastic book. And it just, it just kind of presented itself to me. So mm. Open Mind, Open Heart, Thomas Keating. Uh, I read it probably seven and a half years ago for the first, so it's like 25th edition. It's been out for a long time. But that's what, what led me to, to start meditating, and, and the benefits have been amazing. Again, back to your question, how do I start, how do I practice being in my heart in addition to my head? What was going on in your life and seven years ago that where you were finally were like, okay, I'm going to do this? Was there anything that was, that was, driving you to, to do that? That was where you were feeling just, you know, too much noise going on that you needed to have, have that quiet time? No, I, I don't, I don't think there was anything in particular. I mean, I, you know, years prior to that, you know, I had had some pretty intense assignments at, at one point, spent a, a bit of time in the green zone in Iraq uh, when I was president of a unit that was building out the, uh, the wireless network which allowed the Iraqi people to, to vote for the first time in 2005 with their first free elections. That wouldn't have happened if, if a group of people that I, that, uh, that I had the privilege of leading hadn't worked real hard with the Department of Defense and the Iraqi Department of Defense. That was a, a real intense time, you know, working in the green zone, bombs going off around you. Uh, so a war zone, there's been other times that I you know, took a, a company public during a market crash where you know, we didn't know whether we were going to make the next paycheck. I mean, this, so, there's, so there's been some really intense times during the my, my professional career. I don't I don't remember the seven year ago time being any more intense than that, to be mm -hmm. honest. Mm -hmm. uh, but it just seemed like it it opened up to me, and I was maybe in a place where I was willing to try it. When you think about your career and and, and all of the incredible things that you were a part of, and in in some cases led the charge on and champion, what, what is the most meaningful to you? Well, I think the most meaningful are, are, the, are, are the relationships that you've learned. I mean, I, you know, I, I've got a number of, of titles. I mean, I've, I've carried all the C-suite titles at one time or another. But my, my favorite title, honestly, is Professional Nudge, <laughs> N-U-G-E. Because when I, when, when I come into an organization, when I have the privilege of working with, with teams of people, um, I'm always there to to teach them maybe some things that that they haven't seen or heard before, or they wouldn't have gone to the the company wouldn't have gone to the outside to recruit me in. But I'm all, always so aware of how much I have to learn from the people who are there. So I I am I am a nudge. I'm a student teacher. I'm a player coach. But the thing that's probably most significant to me has been the diversity of of the people uh, in terms of their uh, you know the traditional version of, of diversity is fine. But how people think differently, how how many ways there are to approach a problem, uh, the, the way I mean, we're we're such a mosaic, and whether it's a startup or a multinational, you've got wonderful groups of people around you. And what's been most compelling to me, and probably going back to that, you know, discussions with Dad at the kitchen table, never forget that you can, as as a turnaround specialist, you're always evaluated by your your return on on financial capital. It's all about financial capital. But at the end of the day, success is all about human capital, right? Now, that's a very left brain term. It's about people mm -hmm. and those relationships mm -hmm. and being open to learn and, and swapping stories. I love to swap stories. So I think about the incredible number of stories I've swapped with people around the world over my career. 
And that's probably what I'm most grateful for. When uh, were you there when Iraq held its first free election? Were you in Iraq at the time? Yes. What What was that like? What did that mean to you? How much pride well, did you have? Well, I took pride in the team. Yeah. The, the team that, that delivered that. I mean, we we uh, you know it was president of Lucent Government Solutions at the time, and uh, as I say, we were we were blessed to play a role over multiple years building up to that. And and I I, I just look at the team of people that pulled it off. And, you know, again, many people, as a matter of fact, I remember when we, we first won the contract mm-hmm. uh, and people at, uh, at corporate headquarters kind of looked at us and said, you won what? Well, so we told you we were going to go after it. And, and, and then someone whispers, yeah, but we never thought you'd win. <laughs> so, so it was a privilege. It was, again, uh, you know, my, my dad served uh, uh, a member of the army in, in Korea. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I couldn't have served as a type one diabetic, but. My, my grandfather's uh, served, the uncles have served, part of our, our great uh, veterans group. I couldn't, they wouldn't take me. Um, but the, at the end of the day, I was able to, to contribute uh, with a number of great team members uh, to something that, uh, that was uh, significant. So I was grateful yeah. for the opportunity. Yeah, I'm, I'm the son, son of an army officer as well. And, uh, and I couldn't serve because of chronic asthma. So it, it you know, it's kind of a, you know, a, not a regret, but a, you know, a disappointment that that's something that I had aspired to. But uh, so I can relate to you in that in that sense. You shared a a really great story in your TED talk uh, about when you were promoted to the global president for AT and T, and got a phone call to go uh, to the AT and T pro am with the chairman of the company. And I would love for you to share that story and unpack the insights that you learned that really help shape and, and help you understand, you know, that we're all the same. Sure. You know, it was, it was one of those moments, right? If you look back on, on any particular period of time, there were those moments where you get uh, an aha moment as somebody would say, or, or uh, uh, I'm not looking for an endorsement from V8, but some people call it a V8 moment, right? <laughs> Victim of advertising, I guess there, but but it is kind of when things become clear. So I had been uh, uh, promoted to president of AT&T Global Services uh, at, a, at a relatively young age. I had ten thousand people around the world and thirteen billion dollar P and L that I was responsible for, a quote unquote big job. And and one of the the perks of the job was to was to go out to the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro Am Golf Tournament and and actually sit on the corporate jet next to Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of AT and T, who at the time was Mike Armstrong, and so uh, uh, that was about the twenty-year mark of my career, and I had come up through uh, the organization and kind of waited for other people to say, "Okay, it's time for the next promotion. It's time for the next promotion." I've done pretty well, but here I thought I had kind of arrived. I'm on a corporate jet. I'm going across country with the AT and T CEO, and we settle back in our chairs, uh, uh, expecting the, the long. The long trip and stewardess comes over and takes our order for dinner and I, I sit down and I I kind of check him out across the aisle. There's only you know one seat on either side of the aisle, so I'm looking at Mike, and I notice that he is wearing the same blue suit that I am. He's wearing the same white shirt, same red tie, same shiny black shoes, kind of the corporate uniform, and I, I notice him differently for the first time. I mean, again, I'm looking at a, a corporate icon, a Fortune 10 CEO. And I'm thinking to myself as I enter the plane, someday I could have that job. That's what I'm working for, is to get that guy's job. 
But all of a sudden in that moment on the plane, I look over and I realize that he looks tired. And I see this huge stack of paper, right? Well before laptops and, and other things were so prevalent and, and uh, uh, on planes and everyone would try to do things with cell phones. But he had a bunch of paper in front of him, things he had to sign. And I looked at him and Mike, he looked tired. And he looked as tired as I felt. And I, I had this moment where I looked at him and I said, you know what? If I play my cards right and continue to work, you know, six out of seven days and, you know, 12, 13, 14 hour days, someday I could get that job, maybe in another five, 10 years. And I looked at it and I said, wait a minute. Yeah, he's got a chief executive officer title, but I'm going to kill myself to look like he looks. <laughs> he looked exhausted. Mm-hmm. I thought that was what, you know, when you got that high up, everything had to be terrific. Well, it didn't look that terrific. So um, I kind of came to the understanding that everything I thought about chiefs up to that point, the chiefs are special, the chiefs are chosen, the chiefs have to have the title. All that was wrong. Right? I, really re- I, mean, I had worked for 20 years with wonderful people right, who didn't have chief titles, but frankly, loved their job, were, have time for their families and were balancing things and integrating you know, family and, and, as you say, you know, the integration of, and this, I, I loved your stuff between faith and family and fitness and friends and finances and fun. You're, you're six F's. I'm like, I'm all yes. in with Mike on his six F's. <laughs> but I had, I think Mike, uh, the other, Mike Armstrong, the CEO, probably had trouble doing what you and I try to do and balance. And I said, you know what? I, I'm done. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm getting off the treadmill. Mm-hmm. And so when we landed uh, in, in, uh, in California, I actually returned a, Headhunters call, and uh, shortly thereafter, uh, I was working at a startup hmm. because I decided that that trek up the line to try and get a chief title really wasn't as as important as making good choices that allowed me to live what you would call a six F strategy. Mm-hmm. I would say maybe a strategy that allowed me to connect what I was doing to who I was. Totally, and, I, I love that. That's it. Yeah. You, did people think you were crazy? <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. They said, wait a minute. You, you, you know, you, you are living, you know, the life of Riley. I mean, you know, the corporate jets, the chauffeurs, the this, the that, but, and, and it was interesting, but it just wasn't who I was. Mm. I, I was, I was pleased to be able to, uh, to, uh, to achieve it. Uh, my wife looked at me and said, are you nuts? You mean we're not going to the Academy Awards again? I said, no, we're not. It was just a different lifestyle. But I absolutely knew it was time uh, to not confuse the title with choices that would allow me to be happy. How did you and your wife work through that together? It's a challenge. I mean, I went from that to a startup. As a matter of fact, I went to a startup at, at one of the biggest challenges possible. I, I joined the startup in February of 2000. When I walked into the startup, the number one question I got from my millennials who were, who, who were there were, you know, how many more months till we're all millionaires? And then a month later, NASDAQ crashed, and they knew why I was there, I guess. And, and so uh, I, I thought I was going to do less. I would have more time at home. I had two young kids at the time, and I thought my worldwide travel would, would be lessened because I was living in New Jersey, commuting to New York. But when NASDAQ crashed, I ended up getting an apartment in the city, and I was home even less mm. because of the, the challenges of a startup. So yeah, as in all relationships, uh, uh, you know, it, it takes a toll on on trying to do the right thing for employees, and you try and find that balance. But to answer your question, uh, it, it's always a challenge, right? It's a day by day thing. You do the best you can. 
This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. I have found that in my own experience, you know, I've been married to my wife now for almost 14 years and and I haven't always done a great job of bringing her on board to my vision of things before I take action. Uh, I, I do at some point, but I'm, I'm like, uh, when I get, especially when I get like a moment of inspiration where I know I need to act, like I cannot delay, I, I take action. But I have come... Uh, to understand through you know our 14 years and, and through just maturing that I need to bring her on board not only because it, it it's my duty and obligation to make sure that we are in agreement together but also because I need her to believe in me you know I need yeah. her to believe in our grand vision and you know I'm sure that you know, through trial and error, like in every relationship that you and your wife, especially now with the work that you're doing with educating other people about what it really means to be chief, that she can't be more excited for this next phase in your guys' life. Well, you know, relationships, uh, you know, are sh- shifting and, and you and your wife, congratulations on, 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 on it working. Uh, there's no question uh, 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 Diane and I just made a donation to an organization that I'm really uh, happy to to be supporting with the book uh, called Sammy's House, just to link two topics. Uh, you know, the book is out. Um, uh, very excited about it. All proceeds for the book are going to a nonprofit that supports kids. Think back to like Melissa. Melissa mm. was a special needs six year old with cerebral palsy. There's a wonderful place in Austin, Texas called Sammy's House, which is a special place for special needs kids. Mm. All proceeds, every single penny that would be coming to me from the book is going to Sammy's house. Mm. So wh- even though we made that, uh, that, uh, uh, that gesture, and I'm so pleased to get some visibility to Sammy's house and let your listeners know about it. Uh, in fact, Diane and I just made a, a donation from our foundation to Sammy's house. And, and in addition to whatever comes from the book. So you're right. Well, we can come together and, and contribute to, uh, to the children that need help. It's just the evidence of of, uh, of of what we share. That's so powerful. You know, one of the other powerful things I noticed in in preparing for our conversation today is that you've given a lot of of speeches and presentations at various universities, and you spend time afterwards talking with the the students and and answering their questions. And I'm sure that you're you're hearing from them how much aspirate how many aspirations they have and their vision of the future and what they want to accomplish and you also have the opportunity to perhaps clarify some misconceptions that they have from what the traditional point of view is of a of a chief of a chief executive officer a chief creative officer or whatever alphabet soup you want to apply to it what is the most common misconception that 
those students have about what it means to be a great leader? Well, I, I, the thing that, uh, matter of fact, I just put up a blog about it, about the importance of transparency. A wonderful professor at Penn State, uh, Sam Richards, brought me in to, uh, to speak to his uh, sociology class, Social 119. Matter of fact, he's got a, a a YouTube video intro to SOC 119. People can learn about what an amazing teacher can do to bring uh, college students uh, uh, the kind of learning experiences they need. But I was uh, that was such a great example. As a matter of fact, if you saw uh, any of the video, that's the one you saw. And and the one I all the, the thing that takes most of the time is to is to try and undo the misperceptions of people with titles. And and so you know the transparency example which I'll just summarize for you right now, is uh, Sam introduced me to the class and he used what he, what, what he called my LinkedIn profile, right? So name, title, Ivy, this, blah, 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 kind of a blue blood kind of mm-hmm. approach. Mm-hmm. And then had, the, had the, the class ask me questions. And I showed up in my suit and kind of supported all the preconceived notions they had of people with titles. And then he said to the class, um, Rick's got to go. Matter of fact, he had some quip, his helicopter is waiting. <laughs> so he was playing into it, you know, the whole way. And I left the room, got out of the suit, uh, got on some jeans and a, and a T-shirt. And then he read to the class. He said, Rick didn't really go. He said, let me, let me read you his non-LinkedIn bio. These are the things that we don't put up on LinkedIn that, frankly, are all part of it, right? So he led the, the bio, and you could feel the, the mood of the class change. And I came back in with jeans and a T-shirt. And, and we had the kind of discussion that, you never would have thought possible if you watched the first 30 minutes of Q&A. Hmm. So, so the idea is to let people realize that, that listen, we're all putting our, our, our pants on one leg at a time. Mm-hmm. We are all the same. Equality is one of my core values. And, and it's just whenever I have an opportunity to share, listen, everything you're struggling with as you sit there in your college seat trying to figure out what the future is, are things we all struggle with. Nothing is that different. Yeah, maybe the technology has changed since I was in school. But it really is sharing with them the fact that, you know, everyone is facing the same uncertainties, the same feelings of inadequacy, the same, you know, the same things that are going through your head are going through my head. Mm-hmm. But once we can kind of break that down, and the only exception I would take to your, your intro to the question is when I'm, what, the reason that I go to, to, to colleges, and I, and, I, and I do enjoy it quite a bit, is not only to answer questions, but to ask questions, mm-hmm. right? These, this is a wonderful group of people, and I still got a lot to learn. So when I show up at these places, yeah, somebody says he's here to teach. But believe me, Mike, I am there every bit as much to learn. And, mm-hmm. and it's when you swap stories, when they realize, hey, he really is listening to me, not just to respond to my question with an answer, but this guy is still searching. Right. And, and I am. I'm, I'm looking all the time to, to get new insights, to, 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 like all of us, to confirm what I think I know, but then to be challenged on things I know because I've got more to learn. And just that lifelong learning aspect of things, when you get to share that with just incredibly bright college students, man, it's a gift. And that's why I flock to it. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that I love what you just said because it, it's, it's so humble that a person of, of your level of success and, and accomplishment has the humility to acknowledge that there's still more to learn, that they're not the smartest person in the room, that they're willing to be wrong, that they're willing to have their assumptions tested. And that ultimately, I think, really summarizes what a really great leader is and what we should all aspire to 
as we lead people, but also as we lead ourselves in, in, in our own decision-making as an individual. Yeah, no, I, I, very well said. I, I think, you know, we all have strengths and weaknesses. I, I would tell you that one of my strengths was, was given to me by dad in terms of understanding kind of a, a greater context of a way of thinking. But I've always tried to ask good questions, both mm-hmm. ask good questions to help people unearth the answer for themselves but I ask questions to help me unearth what I need you know, to learn. I got lots to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the idea of, you know, some people believe that, that que- I think questioning as a, as a topic is very uh, undervalued and, and underserved as, a, as, a, as an idea. Um, a good friend, David Cooper writer, wrote a book on appreciative inquiry. You know, how can you inquire about things in a very appreciative way so that people are willing to give you what they have and, and you both grow as a process? So asking yeah. good questions is really important. A few weeks ago, I had a a developmental psychologist named Dr. Kara Miller on the show, and she her actual company is called called Inquiry Partners. And the art of inquiry is so fascinating when you're thinking about asking questions. And one of the things that you know, as she's coaching people and she's making assumptions or, or drawing conclusions. One of the things that she, a question that she puts out to her clients for her own benefit is, where might I be wrong in this? Great question. And I love that question because it invites you to further get, to get further clair- clarity, but it also requires the person who's providing the answer to have clarity themselves, right? right. On, on what conclusions they're they're coming to or assumptions that they're making. So it's incredibly powerful. One of the um, the challenges I think that that big corporations and small all, all all businesses alike face, anybody that has people that they're that they're leading, is empowering with the the ability to lead up and down the chain of command, so to speak. Jocko Willink, who who wrote a great book called uh, Extreme Ownership: How U.S. Navy SEALs Lead and Win. Uh, talks about this. He talks about leading up uh, and down the chain of command, and I think that that is an area where where we where corporations can improve in terms of empowering their people. So, if, how do you, when you're working with your consulting clients and your and your uh, executives, how do you encourage them and train them and coach them to empower their people to to make autonomous decisions and to lead both up and down the chain of command, even though they might not possess themselves a, an executive decision-making role? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, the, the first thing I, I often do with clients is to make sure they understand why it's important, right? So the language of business is numbers, whether it's a startup all the way to a multinational, the language of business is numbers. So if I'm talking to any organization, I like to try and translate things into numbers. So what's the big thing that's uh, on the minds of of people running businesses today? Uh, There's a wonderful number that's out there that says that seven out of 10 people at work are not bringing their A game every day. Some people say it's an engagement issue. You can put lots of words around it, but 70% of your human capital is underperforming. By choice. Now, wow. the translation, the translation of that, according to Gallup, annually in the United States alone, cost impact, $500 billion, with a B, dollars annually. 
any left brain dominant business person says, wait a minute, $500 billion because people are showing up at work and choosing not to bring their A game. Now you have my attention, right? They can figure out how much of that is in their organization. By the way, globally, it's not seven out of 10, it's eight or nine out of 10 aren't bringing their A game. So the returns to companies, right? Again, the language of business is numbers. You want your business to improve? Yeah, you can develop a new product. Yes, you can sell more to customers. How about focusing on your people and having them enthusiastic about bringing their A game? And what would that do for your top and your bottom line? So mm-hmm. we spend a lot of time there framing that this isn't just a, wouldn't you like your employees to be happier conversation? No, this is a bottom line and a top line conversation. And that's business, right? Unless you're in a philanthropy and that's fine too. But business, if it's going to be sustainable business, sustainable needs to be repeatable, right? That's sustainable means. It also means ethical and responsible, but you have to get people to buy into that. And so at all levels, when I'm dealing with people who may have chief titles, we spend time talking about the impact of doing this right. That's when I have them to say, okay, what do we need to do? So, so I, I share with them this topic, which I, which I do cover quite a bit in the book. It's a new topic. Uh, I've, I've coined the term viral engagement. Mm-hmm. So many organizations believe from a top-down perspective, hey, if I'm doing my job as a manager, I should create an environment where all my people are bringing their A-game. It's my responsibility to do that. And that's fair. That means you can you can, you can have good you know, uh, HR policies in terms of communication and compensation and recognition. All those things are fine, but they're kind of tried and true. The new thinking here, Mike, is that in fact, to truly bring, have people bring their A-game, it's not top-down, it's side-to-side. Right? So truly incredible organizations find ways to bring people in at the front lines, not up in the hierarchy, right? whose attitude is going to change the environment for everybody on the front line. Mm-hmm. So it's both. So when you're a manager, and yes, you have to worry about the, the communication, the compensation, the recognition, but be very thoughtful about who you interject, what people you put into a situation. And then, by the way, who needs to be extracted from, a, from, from an organization? A bad apple, if you will, can you know, create, create problems for the whole troop. Yes, it can. So consciously being aware of the, the attitudes of people, Our, people who bring their A-games foster others who bring their A-games. So, so the idea that we spend lots of time on is, yes, there are top-down things that managers can do, but be very mindful that anyone in your organization affects everyone in your organization. Mm. And when you take that approach, you realize that, wow, there are some, some people who may be holding others back. Now those can, can be you say that again? Can you say that quote again, though? Because I, I want people. I don't want. Pe- I don't want people to have to hit rewind. I want people to hear that again. Everyone in your organization. Say it again. Anyone in your organization affects everyone in your organization. Yes. That one person. Don't look past them. Don't. Well, it's only Sally. It's only Joe. No. The impact. The ripple effect. Uh, a wonderful re- researcher named Sagal Barsadi, who's currently working out of uh, the Wharton School, has done f- just incredible research. Uh, uh, and Barsadi has, has, has shown that uh, originally the, 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 the work, and this is all covered in the book, by a breakthrough work on what's called the happiness effect. Uh, Christakis and Fowler did wonderful research, which is highlighted in the book. But what Barsadi did was take it to the next level and say, at work, Introducing a positive person has a ripple effect 
throughout the organization. And when organizations understand that ripple effect, that's when they can really get breakthrough results. So that's a long answer to a short question, but that's what that's where I spend my time with well, any that's organization. Powerful. That's the stuff that matters. And and it is the the people that matter. As dad would have told me all you know years and years ago, he just, just didn't know about the ripple effect. He didn't know the research behind it, but he could have sat there, you know, in, in central Massachusetts, you know, decades ago, and he would have without the research, he would have said, you know what? Everybody matters. That's what dad would have said. Now there's research to back it up. But as I always say, dad was always right. <laughs> what role does helping those those employees make and find meaning above and beyond their job play in, in finding breakthrough? Well, it, clearly it, it helps when the organization uh, has a purpose that people can get behind, right? I mean, identifying why does the enterprise exist? And more and more senior leaders under are understanding that 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 really creating uh, value for not only their share owners, for their their employees, for their customers, but for the community at large, is why these enterprises exist, and that's central to to sustainable growth. Uh, again, for years and years, companies, uh, many companies had uh, a CSR, corporate social responsibility goals, and those were. You know, let's donate a certain amount of goods. Let's have volunteer hours. Well, in 2015, the United Nations passed 17 specific sustainable development goals, SDGs. And what's great is that now you know, the world is coming together to say there are specific goals that businesses should have that include reducing poverty, include reducing hunger, include uh, social justice, include gender equality, and include you know, taking care of our environment, very specific uh, action. Uh, uh, you know, we can measure them, right? The language of business is numbers. So they put numbers on these things, targets on these things. So when uh, in organizations that I work with, uh, many of them are, are embracing SDGs because their employees want them to em- embrace SDGs. Uh, their customers, their share owners, they want to work with organizations that get it and not only get it, but they've moved beyond the do no harm phase to let's do more good phase. Mm-hmm. And those are the companies that are thriving. Speaking of getting it, this has been a, an incredibly powerful conversation. And the book is incredible. It's really good. It has a ton of practical uh, stories and, and, and advice mixed with great real stories that reinforce everything. So where can people go to get the book so that all of the money can go back to that incredible organization you mentioned earlier? Well, thanks. The, the title of the book is Be Chief. It's a choice, not a title. And they can go to bechief.com. It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble. But bechief.com, they can order it there. By the way, they can learn more about Sammy's House, this, this special place for special children where all the money, all author proceeds are going to. Uh, they can read a bunch of the reviews of the book uh, that have been done, the endorsements that have been done by all kinds of different people. Uh, when when it finally ships, uh, uh, I think on the fourth of September it ships. That's awesome. Uh, we're doing this uh, uh, a couple of days before that. And again, anybody that, that that feels like they want to be more powerful, want people around them to be more powerful, powerful defined as clarity and confidence and and impact, which is your all which which you're all about, uh, and influence and uh, and clarity and energy. All those things are what power is, and and that's why, Mike, it's been such a pleasure to be connected with you. 
Yeah, you know, actually, I loved the um, endorsement that Susan Cain provided for you in the book where she said that Rick makes the word power good again. Yeah, uh, Susan, which, Susan's terrific. Yeah, that was that was that was amazing. You know, um, we will definitely link to all of that in the show notes as well. So people can can easily access that information. Is are you on social media anywhere? Yeah, be, yeah, Facebook being chief, LinkedIn being chief, Twitter being chief. Okay. Uh, name of the company, which is B-E-I-N-G, Being Chief, uh, all platforms. Uh, the book is really an invitation for you to be chief. And so I, I chose not to title the, uh, the book that the same name as the company, but uh, everything is on bechief.com. Or if you, choose, if you type in beingchief.com, you'll come to the same place. I love it. Okay. We'll, we'll include all of those uh, social media handles also in the show notes. Now, I always conclude with the same three questions for every guest. And the, the first question is, if you could take any skill set that you currently possess, so a, a skill or a talent or a gift that you currently possess, and turn it into a superpower, put a little superpower juice on top of it, what would it be? Meditation. Mm. Meditation. Mm. Uh, th- this, this is all about uh, uh, self-understanding and, and knowing what you have and what you don't and who you are, who you really are, and the quieting of the mind that allows you to, to lower the number of times that you confuse activity with progress. Want to make progress? Know who you are. If, 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 if that was a superpower, then I think uh, I and the world would be well served. Mm, I love that. That's powerful. That's powerful. Next question is, what are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from being chief in our own life? Three, three things we tell ourselves that... Hold us back from being chief of our own life. I think one is I can get there without practicing. Right? I, I, that, there's, that there might be a shortcut mm. to get there. Uh, in fact, the, the counter to that is there is a discipline that is required uh, to increase the probability of getting there. Steph Curry takes a lot of free throws in practice to do what he does. And if it's important, you're going to practice. So, so I guess my, uh, the first one would be that there is a shortcut. Mm-hmm. There isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is that I can get there by myself. Um, I, I don't need uh, 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 help. I can just kind of all do it by myself. This is, in my experience, this is about uh, relationships. Some people would like to have influence with others, not realizing that the more influence you get is in direct relationship to how much support you can give others. So I think that's another one uh, that you can, you can do it yourself. Um, and the third one is I, I think people uh, believe that at the, the root of what they do, uh, they can get there without understanding what they stand for. And I'm just such a fundamental believer that if you take the time to understand what you stand for, what, I mean, there's a lot of great attributes in the world, but what do you want to stand for? Mm-hmm. And someone thinks about uh, you, Mike, right? If you ask your five or 10 people who know you best, what does Mike stand for? Wouldn't it be interesting if, if those 10 people, they don't use the exact same words, but if they all came back with things that kind of resonated with the same elements, right? Because that would say that you are, living, eating, breathing, sleeping, dreaming, your strongest held set of values, and it's impacting those around you. 
So I believe that taking the time to understand that once you figure out where you stand, you can take one. Mm. Mm. I love that. That's powerful. When you take a stand, then everyone around you is impacted. Mm -hmm. And I think it makes you more powerful. You know, there's this great line in the, in the, in the uh, musical Hamilton where Alexander, Alexander Hamilton is criticizing, criticizing Aaron Burr. And he basically says that he says, basically, if you don't know what you stand for, what will you, what are you willing to die for? Bingo. You know, and, and, and obviously we know how that all turned out. Not well. <laughs> the last question is, is, comes from the title of a book by Clay Christensen, which is how will you measure your life? Now, I'm trying to be a little bit more creative with the way I have people answer that question. So uh, as opposed to just answering the question, how will you measure your life? I I would love for you to think about if you were to give your answer in the form of written instructions to an artist and you were to have him or her create a painting, write a poem, do some uh, sculpture, how would, what, what would you want them to create as your answer? Well, I want to make two points if I can. The first off is your original element of of measure your life. We haven't spoken of it yet, and I just want to use the opportunity to to share with your listeners that, again, the language of business is numbers. One of the things the book will allow you to do very quickly uh, is measure your power. Mm -hmm. You can actually measure your power. Power defined as, again, energy, clarity, confidence, influence, and impact. The big impact word, right? So you can measure it. By the way, you can go to my website and take a survey for free to measure your power. And all that's meant to do is to give you a number, which will give you in short tips on how to increase that number if you if you want to. It's all about choices. So that's the measurement topic, which I think is important for a lot of people. And again, it's all free on the website, all free. Okay. But to to answer your question about what I would ask an artist to do, uh, and it wouldn't matter to me, honestly whether it was a, uh, someone who was working with clay or someone who was working with colors on a canvas, my instructions would be to first sit and meditate and then do with your hands, whether it's sculpture or, or painters, do what you would choose to do, but do it with your eyes closed. Don't be, don't be, don't be overly influenced by what you see. Because that is a limited view of if you're going to try and create an expression of my life in in artist form, I would want it to be divinely guided. Mm. And as human beings, we are so visually, many of us, visually oriented. This doesn't look pretty. This looks pretty. But if an artist went to a meditative spot uh, and connected with what I would call uh, uh, either God or the divine or the universe, go wherever you want to go. And then manifested something in a thoughtful, unhurried way that, that took whatever guidance they were given and it came through their body, through their hands. Whatever the result was, I would probably cry when I saw it. Mm. Rick Miller, what a beautiful, meaningful way to conclude a powerful and intentional conversation today. Thank you for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Thanks, Mike. It was my honor. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out 
Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact. Thank you.